listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. It was interesting. Pastor Melton says, Greg, can you come and preach? I said, sure. And he says, I asked him, is there anything sort of, you can give me some direction? Which, no, no, you can pick anything. I'm thinking, oh, thank you. <laughs> the whole Bible. What I'm going to say to you right now, from now, just pick one thing, right, out of the whole Bible. But I, I believe that the Spirit of God works in a pastor's preparation, and he directs him to the peace out of all the many, many passages and verses to the one whereby you need it this morning. I know there's some other people who needed this morning, but they chose not to be here for some reason, and they're going to miss it. But you're here, so come with anticipation. And uh, it, 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 what, as I was looking over things, saying, what would I go with? And, and it, well, I was in, initially inspired, but then God just opened the door, and that was, was the whole thing of the title that you have, the new title, Hope Bible Church. Now, that could just be a, you know, a title for a church. What does that mean to you as a people? Or do you look at it as, as I was saying, I thought, wow, what an opportunity. Right in your name, you are like a beacon of light to your community, saying there's hope for everybody who's struggling in life, which is many of them. You've got an opportunity. God working through you as a church to bring hope to the world. And, it, and it's Bible, hope Bible church, shows the foundation where it's coming from. Not just somebody's nice philosophy and ideas that changes within 10 years, but it's something that's been live and true for, for thousands of years. See, we live in a world that is void of hope. I believe that there's a lot of things they hope in and have hope for different things, but it's not necessarily very strong or very possibly to be realized. And with that, they struggle in life in so many ways. And I don't know about you, but this unsettles my heart and my mind. Maybe because I'm a pastor, but it should be because I'm a Christian. To see people going through life, struggling with things that God never designed for them, and the answer and the solution is Jesus Christ, the hope of the world. And his word has addressed all kinds of things to help people to push past the various things that are there. Issues like depression and anxiety and fears at, at all ages. And of course, when it goes long enough, it leads to the ultimate lack of hope, and that is into suicide. Um, mental health issues such as bipolar, schizophrenia, and multiple personal disorders, and more. And they just continue to grow in title. And people just live on with those. I've worked with the RCMP to some extent, and on a night we'll go out and basically we'll hear a call come in that so-and-so's got this problem. We get there, and it's a mental health issue. And so we are to protect them from themselves. And so the only recurrence that they can do is to take them to the hospital where they release them into the doctors and the doctors check them out. And if there isn't anything significant that they can do for them, they release them back onto the street that night. And usually about two, three hours later, yes, we have another person. Yeah, and you come up, it's the same person again. So now you take them back and you put them there. And this time they might keep them through to the morning, but then they release them in the morning. And some of those people have files over and over again. Is that hope? It's a, it's a, it's a tornado and a, and a turning that just is it's not going anywhere. Uh, RCMP dealing with PTSD, and that's heading into many other lines of work. And what's interesting in all of this stuff is that the counselors will say, well, this is your new normal. I'm like, well, why have to say, wait a second, time out here. You just have to accept this the rest of your life? When God made us, he said it was very good. 
He didn't say the wheels are going to come off the wagon. You're just going to have to accept that when you go along. And there's reasons why these things have come into people's lives and worlds, and sometimes they don't want to hear what the Bible has to say, and so because of that, they reject the very solution that is, is, that is needed. And sin is taking its toll, and the thief is stealing and killing and destroying, and people do not have resources to do anything to combat that. They are hopeless. And then in our Bibles, we read verses like Philippians 4 and verse 7. It says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. We can't figure this out. How does this, we don't know how it works. We just know that this peace can be there and it'll guard your heart of your emotions, your mind and all where it runs and where it goes. And God says, I will give you that, but it's in Christ Jesus. It's not in something else. The solution is in Christ Jesus. You reject Jesus, then don't plan on finding release and hope for your situation. Another verse, 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7. It puts it this way. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. In other words, we do not have to be beaten down over and over. But where the world is suffering from anxieties and fears, um, we see that we can bring to them to God who gives them the spirit when they come to faith in Christ, who lifts them into that place. So there, you see, just as we look at those couple of those verses, we see that's just the beginning of what the Bible has to offer in the sense of hope. How is your hope this morning? Yeah, it's nice to talk about the problems of the world out there. Where's yours? What's your challenge? Raising kids? Your marriage, your job, any number of unknowns that can cross into our lives. Anxiety comes with that in the battle, and it challenges our hope. Because the enemy wants to rob our joy, and sometimes for all of us, including me, he can beat us up, and he can take us down for the moment. And then we put our eyes and our heart and our minds back on Christ and he lifts us back up. It's a battle. There are times you get knocked down. So don't beat yourself up saying, oh, I'm a Christian. I shouldn't have this and fear or anxiety or whatever. Where's, where's God? I'm like, no, no, it's a battle. And sometimes you slip in the battlefield and you get knocked down, but you don't stay down. And you can get up and you can put these things behind. So let's look at this hope that is ours in Christ. And I hope that I will lift you up today in some way. And as a church, the possibilities of the message of your people will be inspired that it's not just a name for your church, but it is a message of who you are on Christ's behalf. Not Pastor Meldon, not the leadership, but a message of hope that you are because Christ lives in you and you are about to go back into the world and you take him with you. The passage I'd like to work from is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 to 16. Um, if you can turn there, that would be great. It says this, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. A great passage. In your hearts, honor Christ. Another verse, pass, version, it says, set apart Christ as Lord. And I think that's where I'd like to start. And my first point is this. Hope's foundation 
where it really sets its place in us, where it gets traction to where hope is real, is as Christ as Lord. If we vacillate and do not put that as the foundation, if we think, well, it's just good to be saved and sort of do the Christian life and move along, then don't be surprised if your life and spiritual life is shaky. But the sense of hope comes because we've set apart Christ as Lord. A lot of people are challenged with assurance of salvation. As a pastor, I've heard a lot of people, let's, let's talk about it. Pastor, how do we know we're saved? Not an uncommon question. My encouragement to everyone has always been, if you have a life that is following and submitted to following Jesus Christ, and you're walking close to that, and you're enjoying that relationship day after day, you will never question that. Okay? Put it this way. If you have a child, and he just looks up to you, or she looks up to you as you're going along in life, and it's my dad. Wow. Can we go, you know, golfing or fishing or shopping if it's a little girl or something like that? And, uh, and, and there's no question of the relationship. I'm with the father. But you get that child as rebellious. You want to do something with me today, kid? Nah, I'm going to sit home and look out the window. Okay. You feel distant. And you lose that assurance because you, that life is rebellious and is not following close. Oh, you might like when dad's there because he you know, keeps the lights on in the house and pays the mortgage and all those wonderful things. And so you're appreciative of that. And you're, you, know, you don't say, I'm not happy to be part of your family, but I'm just busy somewhere else in my life. And you'll feel distant. Well, the same thing as our spiritual walk. If, we are, if we're right in there just adoring him as we just sang, you will find yourself with a sense of assurance that is never questioned. But if you live the life and sort of do good on Sunday because you showed up, and then the rest of the week you sort of play your own game, don't be surprised if you lack assurance because, you see, you haven't set apart Christ as Lord. What we find is when we look at the passage, the first word in, in verse 15 is the word but, which means it refers to the things that are going prior to that. So to put this all into context, it's referring to verses 18 to 14 where it says, these are the things of life, okay? So if you are going to enjoy these things of life, then you set apart Christ as Lord. If you want harmony in life as a family, as a church, if you want to love life and see good days. Who, anybody like that idea? Nobody? Okay. I'll move on. Okay, good. Two people do. That's great. We're, we're on the same page. Um, uh, this can be interactive. You can laugh if it's funny, but if it's not funny, you don't have to laugh either at some point. Um, but it goes on to say, do you want God attentive to your prayers? Hmm. Would you like to know that when you're praying, God's attentive? That's why we set apart Christ as Lord. These things come into play. We have to be real with God, devoted and submitted. And it's a point in life where we make a serious decision. Great to hear the call from Pastor Meldon this morning about baptism. Um, I got saved when I was seven years old. And I, I knew things. I knew that I had Jesus as my Savior. I knew my sins were forgiven. I was going to heaven if I died, and Jesus was my Father, and I could pray and talk to him. Pretty good things for a kid, right? When I got to 13, I was in a service, and the speaker up front, and so if you're 13 or 14, uh, even some of you kids that are younger, this may be still pretty important to you, okay? Um, it was impressed upon me, and those things, I got those things from God in my salvation, but what did God get of me? Do I just take that and live the rest of my life? I'm just happy. I can pray. I can go to heaven. I got my sins forgiven. That's pretty sweet. End of the deal. And I realized, God, no, God wants me. 
And I devoted my life to the Lord at that point in time. I said, Lord, you need to have something for me, and that's me. So at age 14, I was baptized, and I made that decision publicly. Age 16, I thought I might be headed for the ministry. Age 17, I'm in Bible college. See how there can be significant decisions of even a younger child. Parents are not making their big decisions all when they get to 21 and 24 when they're working through careers. If God's going to work in their life, he wants to do some things much earlier to put their feet on the ground. Because of that, I did not have one of those crazy wayward lives where I just ran off with all things of the world that were around me and hoped to come back when I was 19. God protected me by his grace through that whole period of time. In fact, I was light in darkness. I was a witness to my peers. I got faced with that a bunch of times, as everybody does, but I was okay with that even as a kid. You see, we need to put it down that Jesus is Lord. And it says we need to do it and set it apart in our hearts, not just in our heads. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, yeah, Jesus is Lord of, Lord of my life. I can, I can work with that. Now it's a conscious sort of just thought idea. But no, you set it in your heart where we set Christ as Lord. See, there's a lot of things in our life that can be attached to our heart. Our family, our house, our car, our toys, our work. You might have some things that God's, by His Spirit, just putting in there right now. And with that, um, you can get tied to those things, and, and they can be set apart as more important. The Word says, no, no, no. In our hearts, we set apart Christ over everything else as Lord. We understand our hope in Him. And we see that it's a heart choice. It's, it's a joyful choice because of the fact that I'm not making it because I have to. My parents did tell me at age 13, you need to do something about your life and get this fixed up. The Spirit of God worked there and brought it together. So we need to have him move and live, and we need to listen to it. What's interesting is if you just go back one page, we'll, do, we'll go back to 1 Peter chapter 1 a few times here. If you go back to 1 Peter 1, 8, 9, we don't have that up on the screen, that's okay. It says here, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I thought, what a, what a conclusion statement. We haven't seen Jesus. We haven't seen the Father. We haven't seen heaven. And yet, we love him. Sometimes in my life, I had to ask that question, where is that love quotient? Is it down here or is it up here? Do we love him? Not in words, but in our heart and in deeds. And you believe him, though you haven't seen him. He's not just a theological idea. You're actually serious because you, if you don't have that, you won't stand for him in the public place. Because as soon as somebody pushes back, you'll go silent. But if you really believe him, you'll say, yes, that's what the Bible says, and it's true. It doesn't fade from our life. We should be so pumped with this thing of the Lordship of Christ, not because we have to, but because we get to let him be in charge and he's going to guide my life, your life, with whatever is going to show up. But even there it says, and we do this because we realize in the end, by submitting this way, we get the very salvation of our soul. It does not rot. It does not go to hell. It will not be touched. We get salvation and all that that means. He says, and the glory for that does not need to fade. But in 1 Peter 1, verses 13 to 21, he says, he calls us to, to action in verse 13. So in other words, we need to obey what God has asked. We need to not conform to evil desires. And they are around us. 
and they will trip us up. And then in verse 15 it says, and to pursue holiness and be holy as he is holy. Sometimes I wonder if we even understand fully what that means. We know God is holy. He lives in unapproachable light, so if we really got there, we'd be done. But he says there's still a holiness of his quality and person that is something that we can copy and emulate. He says we're to be being in a process in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, where we are being conformed to the image of Christ. Life is moving in that direction. My question for some believers today is, how is that going? Because my observation, there's some Christians who are, have found their salvation in Christ, they despise their past, and they're moving this way as they get more and more like Christ, and they're moving towards holiness, as opposed to some who sort of get down the way a little bit and say, well, that's far enough, I don't want to be too radical. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, again, I'm saved, I don't want to necessarily be devoted, and I, I, it's not that I don't like him, or anything like that. And so they live as sometimes as close to the edge without falling back. That's not what this verse is saying. It says, be holy. There should be something that we have in our mind what that means to where we're saying, we're going this way, and that means we're going to get more strange to the world as we do this. As we look more like Christ, I mean, the, the world had some values at once upon a time, like about 50 years ago, where it halfway valued a little bit about church and Jesus and God and Bible. Those days are gone. Uh, increasingly, we are not wise. We are the enemy in some points. So the battle is going to go. And we need to be able to stand. Ephesians 5 verse 3 says, we're not even supposed to have a hint of sin in our lives. And that should guide us in our, our conversations. So we see that basically we need to put this foundation where Christ is Lord. Because from that is where we find our hope. And our hope, I put it this way, is out of this world. A little bit of play on words there. It's because of what we have in Christ. Now hope, for someone, is only as strong as what you put it in. Sort of like faith and trust. So in other words, if there was a, uh, you know, a little few strands of something here for me to walk from there to there, and if I put my hope and trust that that was not going to let me down, it would be unrealistic. Now, if I had a, you know, some nice plywood like I'm standing on here across to there and some framing underneath it, I would have realistic hope trusting it for what it's going to bring me to. Now, our lives are a lot more complicated than going from here to there. And so to put our hope into something, it has to be something that has proven itself to be strong enough to carry the full journey. And that's why our faith and our hope is in Christ. There's nothing better. The person who has conquered death and the power of sin is gone. Actually, the fact that God is with us. Uh, there's hope that you have. If you want to go to, back to 1 Peter 1, chapter, uh, 1, verses 3 to 10, and you'll just pick up some of these if you watch as I go along. But he talks about things of where our hope is. It's because we have great mercy. We forget that we are spared probably every day. Just recently, in, as I'm reading through the Bible, I read this one section in the Old Testament, and we know that God's moved on from that, but that gives us a little bit of a picture of what sin is like. The individual had gathered firewood on the Sabbath, okay? And he was found picking up that firewood. He was reported, and God's instruction, and they did it, they took the man out of the city, and they stoned him to death. If you're like me, I'm reading like, what? Just picking up firewood? 
See, God made it very clear. I don't want you to do work on the Sabbath. I'm not trying to preach a whole message on that thing this morning, okay? But the point I'm getting at is, is sin is very serious to God. So when you realize that things are, we will justify it as just being a little oops or whatever. God's saying, no, that was sin. And it can be serious unto death. But because of his great mercy, we are spared. Each day. All of us. We are thankful. We have hope because of that. There is a new birth. He gives us a new life. The old passes away. Um, we get a chance to do it over. Um, I, being saved at a young age and sort of walking with, with Christ through the years, I, I don't have the testimony that some people who were, they found Christ at 21 or 35, and they say, man, I was doing this, and I am so glad I am done, and I'm going over here, and I get to do it over. I get a new life out of this whole thing. They can see the darkness to light. And the hope that they have. The Bible says it's a living hope. It means it's based on the resurrection, that it's powerful and miraculous. It's, I put it here, it's not the teaching of many dead guys, okay? Um, the message, when you think of it, of these people who want to talk about all the eternal things of life and spirituality, and yet they're all in the grave, but we have Jesus who spoke about the hope of eternal life, and he came back from the grave and is still living. Therefore, it is a living hope. Our hope is put in something that's big enough and strong enough that we will not be pushed back or shrink back from believing it. And I hope that the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is real to you every day of your life. So that in the sense, if you met someone, you say, hey, did you hear about something? Someone came back from the dead. Say, no, really? Yeah, who was it? Jesus. Was that a few years ago? Yeah, but it was true. Because if it was Bob Smith on the corner who came back from life, he'd be doing circuits you know, around, the, around the country about, I was dead, but now I'm alive. <laughs> Who's Bob Smith? He's just a guy I made up. That's okay. Good question, though. So you see, it comes down to that he is a living hope. We're based on something that is powerful. And he gives to us an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade says everything is awaiting us in heaven. Inheritances are fun, right? If you are so fortunate to have something that comes your way, it's a real wonderful little blessing. I remember one family, they were looking forward to hearing what was coming to them, so they got down, and, and uh, close to this other guy, his John Smith, um, he was, uh, had his funeral, and of course, everyone passed, and now they were time to hearing the obituary, not that, the reading of the will. And so with that, they you know, quietly listening, and the lawyer opens up and says, here's what he says. I, John Smith, being of sound mind, spent it all. <laughs> Not much of inheritance on that one. It sort of faded, it spoiled, it perished. It just wasn't there. We have an inheritance in heaven, and it's everything. There is so much that is waiting for us in heaven can you get your eyes off of this world and its values to the things that are waiting for you for eternity that you are going to endure? Once you get there, you will forget about this place forever. You'll have no significance. You're not going to be in heaven. Oh, I wish we could be back on earth. You know, it's so much better back there. It'll fade. But here's this. In Christ, that hope, that inheritance, it is never going to perish. It is never going to spoil. It is never going to fade. And then there is the fact that we are shielded by God's power as you go along through each day. You never know how much stuff you could have actually run into, but God stopped it before it got there, and you just kept walking along. Going to, if you want to turn over to Ephesians chapter 1, 
another place where I might refer to a few times, adds more to this. It says, we, we have every spiritual blessing that awaits us in heaven. It's almost like there's too much to list. And one day we will be holy and blameless, which for me, I'm excited about that because I will mess up no more. Guys, finally we will get it right, okay? All the time. Um, it says, we are adopted as sons. We are close to the Father. We have redemption, so we've been bought back uh, so that we can be connected with the Father. We can pray. We have forgiveness, uh, huge, a release from guilt, and that is huge in our world today. The hope of the world, they are under so much oppression from the guilt that covers their life from their sin, that basically, with forgiveness, the burden is lifted. The day when you come into Christ and to faith in Him, He takes and He washes all of that away, Right? And then when you go, oops, that wasn't right, that was sin and wrong, you say, Lord, I confess it, 1 John 1, 9. He takes that and he cleans it away, and you're back to being the same thing you were on the day that you accepted Christ when everything was clean. What a freedom. He says there's riches of grace. They are unearned gifts that he continues to give to us, and I've seen it in our life as a family. My wife, Luella, and I are here, and some of our kids are here this morning as well. But it says he has lavished it on us lavished. Do you feel lavished? There is so much. If you don't, you need to sit down and go back and read Ephesians 1 and 1 Peter 1, okay? And then just ponder on those things. We are so special and so valuable. God has tons invested into us. That's why you can go each day with that confidence when he says things like, I will be with you to the very end, or I will never leave you or forsake you. Now you can trust his promises, not just this concept of hope, but all his promises are real because of the fact that he's got so much invested and he loves us so dearly. And that's why we come here to worship. And I appreciate the songs this morning. There's so much that we have received. And when you come here, I hope you don't just come to sing the songs and say, oh, I like that one, didn't like that one. Too high, too low, too fast, too old, too new. I was a worship pastor for 27 years. It was interesting. When I would try to balance things out and we'd sing some hymns, if I sang too many hymns, then the chorus people were upset. When I sang a few more choruses to try to offset that, then the hymn people were upset. When I got it right to the middle, everyone was upset. So I knew I was doing my job. Because we focus on the stuff, and we don't focus on him. The words that were here, I can go to any church and I can look at the song. Even if I don't know the song, I look at the words and I think, amazing concept. Yes, what a truth. What a reality. Allow this to take the things for which you are hopeful for as you get reviewed each week to just be able to take that and, and, and sing it back to him. But it doesn't stop there. So see, we set Christ as Lord and we, we enjoy all that he has provided for us. And so whatever your challenge is today, there is hope because of Christ is in you and because of the promise in the word. And if you need guidance from the word to help you with what's challenging you, then you find Pastor Meldon, you find an elder or a person who's got a fully devoted life that you can know of and, and talk with them and they'll direct you to the word and to Christ. But that brings us to this point. And number three is that, or C is, we are expected to share our hope answers with the world. See, it's good to have all this and good to remember it and, and be in church, and then are we done? It has to go somewhere. And that's why I like your title on your church, Hope Bible Church. You're going to go with that. And you're hoping people will come here. But they may not even know that you're here until you take it to them and talk with them. Do we know the answers 
for how life can be changed from God's word. I did a sermon series uh, at one point some time back. It was called, What is the Answer? And each week I had one of 10 different challenges of life. I spoke through the topic, and the purpose was to show the hope and the truth of the Word of God that related to that in the process of trying to equip the believers so that when they go out and they meet someone that's, that's depression or they got alcoholism or they've they're got worry about finances or they have a marriage conflict happening, and they don't say, oh, you need to talk to our pastor. I said, no, no, no. Jesus is in you. You take the Word, and here's what it is. You talk to them about that. Now, if it gets really deep and you feel over your head with some of the issues, then bring them to the pastor. That's a little bit how they did with Moses' time, right? He had all those people, and, they, and he was trying to do it, and they said, hey, it's going to burn you out. So they let the lesser things be done by the people, and the bigger, more complex things did find their way to Moses. Great little pattern, to, to, I think, for the church today. You be the front line. You take this message of hope. There are apologetic answers and pastors and online things that you can share with. But what I think I hear sometimes from people is, well, you know, I really don't know the answers to a lot of those questions, so I, I feel justified just sort of staying quiet because I don't want to mess it up. No. You need to know your Bible. You need to be here every week so you learn your Bible more and more every week so that by the time you get to the end of the year, you've had 40 to 52 weeks of learning your Bible in such a way that next year you got that much under your, underneath you that you're learning a bunch more and you're ready to go to the world with the hope that's in Christ. See, when we really know our hope in Christ and we believe it fully, we get excited. When we really know our hope, it reminds me of the kids in school. I'm not sure they do this anymore, so some of you teachers, you can clarify this for me later. But I remember those times in school when the teacher was asking the questions, and most of us were scared of not knowing the answer. But there's those moments when all of a sudden, everybody knows the answer. And you can see everybody, and there's, there's kids, and they're just, they're just pumping my hand like this. I, I know, I know. And some kids, he's leaning over his desk, and he's fingering his finger like this. Pick me, pick me. And just, and just, I, we know the answer. Right? Is that us? To the challenges of the world? I see a problem. My friend, he's struggling with it. I got something for you. I, I, know, I know what I can give to you. And this is the answer. It's, but it's in Jesus. People need us. Jesus wants to live his life through you and through me. We should not be hiding the message of hope under a bed or a basket, as the Bible says. The truth, the light, the love, the hope has got to go out. And in this verse, he's trying to say, uh, you need to take this and answer questions. Jesus is hoping for dialogues among us with the people. And, says, and it says, to everyone who gets, asks you a question, or has everyone... Uh, Answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So it's not just the occasional person, but it should be like, man, that person, they've got a lot. In fact, someone else has a problem. They're talking, well, you need to go talk with that person because they gave me some help that, on this whole thing. And so how do we keep perspective on this? Again, if you want to look to these, uh, you can turn your Bibles to them. But again, they're in Ephesians 1 and 1 Peter 1. First, Ephesians 1, 9 says, and beautiful thing, and that is that in Christ, he has given us the power to do all this. And it's not just a case of power. It says in that place, it says, and the same power that was working for the resurrection of Christ 
is the same power that's in you that's going to make a difference. Resurrection of Christ. What's the power level on that one? It's huge. That's the same power with Christ living in you that is ready to take hope to the world. We have the Holy Spirit. We're never alone. In 1 Peter 1, 17 to 19, it says we're supposed to not get connected to this world so much. We're supposed to live as strangers, not tied to the stuff. That's challenging in our prosperous North America. We can be distracted or tied up. Um, end times are going to show up. And it says, the Bible says, uh, this always hits me. It says the love of most. The love of most is going to grow cold. Whew, I don't want that to be me. How about you? When it's time, when it's tough, do you want your love to grow cold? If you don't, you're going to be in the minority of Christians. We need to be not connected to this world, but love him with our heart as Christ is Lord. It says to have a reverent fear. The judgment seat of Christ is, is not, it's not the, the great white throne judgment. We're not there about salvation and losses. It's where God looks to give out his rewards to us. And it relates to that parable where the guy who had two talents, he used two and got two more, so he ended up with four. The guy who had five worked with it and ended up being with five, so he ended up with ten. And to that, Jesus said, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. There is a sense in which God is looking for us to take action and work with what he has given to us. And then there's one of those guys. He said he knew his master was hard. So he didn't do anything with it, hid it, and he gave it back, saying, I didn't do anything with it. He was called wicked and lazy. What's interesting, he said, uh, he threw him into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, that's another whole message and explanation in itself. We need a reverent fear. Yes, we love the mercy and the love and the grace of God. But he's still God. He's put so much into the work of Christ, and he's hoping that we will take that to a world that's being wrecked by sin and by the powers of darkness, and we're going to step off and just let them be ravaged. But what also motivates is in verse 18, he says, and that is you were redeemed, not with gold and silver, not with money. God didn't buy us back with money, but it took the precious blood of Christ. All of this is possible. All this hope is there because of Christ going to the cross. And he's given it all to us. And we need to see the world as Jesus sees them. They are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And the enemy, like wolves, is looking to seek who he can devour. And we need to see people in that same way and feel his compassion. So when you hear of someone that's got schizophrenia and multiple personal disorders or bipolar or, or something else, do you ever think, wow, what could Jesus do for that person? They don't have to live miserably like that the rest of their life. They're depressed. They're anxious. His eternal plan was to work through you and me to bring hope to the world. And that's what you've signed on for with your church title. You're going to be a place of hope. A people of hope. And everywhere you go in the week, you are a messenger of that hope. We have an eternal amazing hope that's in power and Pastor Melvin will preach it. And may you realize all it can be in your own life and then from there take it to others. Your future as a church has a hope to impact its city and people. If you are in Christ with a heart that is lovingly devoted to him,
you can believe that that hope will go. And the battle of the world, you're not alone. So whatever your situation is, Christ can provide. For people, they need hope. And the word of God is relevant to any issue that is faced. So with hearts of passion for Christ, his lordship and full of hope, with hearts of gratitude for all that we have and will receive, let's take our hope message to the world because they need us before it's too late. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. And our hearts are here with gratitude because we are so rich and so blessed, and our hope for eternity exceeds our light and momentary trials and troubles of this world. May you lift the burden of those who are here this morning with something from your spirit and something from the word that will give them an anticipation that what their challenge of finding hope will be realized and met by you even this day. And if they're not sure, may they talk to some, may they talk with me or somebody else, but let them not leave here without resetting some hope in their life. And Lord, I pray that your blessing on this church and Pastor Meldon, that the inspiration of your spirit will stir the hearts of each one they will rally behind Pastor Melton as he looks to lead this church to be hope and light in a dark world. And may you accomplish the wonderful purposes that you have in them of being your hope to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.